This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. This is the Work and Life podcast, which explores how to create harmony among the different parts of life, work, home, community, and the private self, your mind, body, and spirit. Here's your host, founding director of Wharton's Work-Life Integration Project and author of the bestseller, Total Leadership, Professor Stu Friedman. Julia King Poole is an alumna and now on the faculty of the University of Pennsylvania's Master of Applied Positive Psychology, that's MAP program, and she's founder and CEO of Burn In Mindset. She was advised by Angela Duckworth and Claire Robertson-Craft in her studies in the MAP program, and then she and Sophia Kokores co-authored a study on the mindsets of exemplar teachers in urban education. Their research became the inspiration for burn-in mindset. Prior to that, Julia had worked in urban education for a decade. She helped to lead the opening of two public charter schools and has been an elementary and middle school teacher in the public and public charter schools of Los Angeles, Gary, Indiana, and Washington, D.C., She's received numerous awards for her contributions to K-12 through education, including the Sue Lehman Excellence in Teaching Award from Teach for America. She was also named the 2013 D.C. Teacher of the Year. In this episode, Julia and I discuss the extraordinary stress and strain experienced by teachers in K-12 that too often results in exhaustion and unnecessary, expensive turnover. We explore the ways in which positive psychology can help teachers to remain strong, healthy, resilient, and engaged both for themselves and for their students. She describes some of the core principles of positive psychology and the ways that she has adapted them for use by high-performing teachers in her program, Burn-In Mindset. These principles, of course, can be applied in any job and for our relationships outside of work, too. You can take the Values in Action survey for free online, and I urge you to do that to learn more about your strengths and the ways to develop them to increase your own resilience. I really hope that you like the Work and Life podcast, and if you do, I would so much appreciate it if you'd rate and leave a review of it on uh, iTunes or wherever you listen, so others are more likely to find and enjoy it as well. And now, without further ado, get set to listen to and learn from Julia King Poole about how to effectively integrate the principles of positive psychology to help avoid burnout not just for teachers, but for anyone in a high-stress job. Julia, welcome to Work and Life. Thank you. It's so great to have you here. All right, before we get into burn-in mindset and how you came up with it, what your research showed and what you're doing and the success that you're having and the difficulties in implementing, the challenges that, that you face in implementing this, this program, 
I thought it would be useful to start with uh, just the big picture of teaching in America. Teachers have been in the news a lot uh, the last year or so, protesting for better wages, protesting for smaller classrooms, for more support, and they've been supported by their students and their communities. They've been winning numerous battles uh, to help create better conditions for their work, and which is so crucial to uh, to our future. Do you think there's a new era dawning in our society wherein teachers do indeed or will indeed get the respect that they deserve, that they need, where teachers will be valued for the incalculable contributions they make to our society? I hope so, but I think that this has been a struggle in our country forever, um, hmm. and teachers still don't get paid very well. I think there's the fact that there are more pathways um, for leadership in teaching is helping. Um, there are more standards for excellence and starting to have more flexibility for teachers um, within the career. But I, th- I think that it is an incredibly difficult job well, and that there are plenty of structural issues that contribute to that. So so, so you're, you're pessimistic about the future of teaching in America? I don't think I'm pessimistic, but I think that it's, it is accurate for these teachers to mm-hmm. be complaining um, about large classroom sizes mm-hmm. and um, increasing demands. Well, you know, while th- these problems are probably pretty obvious to most of our listeners who have children in schools or recently been in school themselves or engaged in the work of education in our in our country at the same time you have uh, you have teachers in public education really being under attack at the highest levels of our federal government presently Uh, the secretary of education betsy devos has to put it nicely uh, not been receiving a very warm welcome from many schools and teachers where where do you see the trend going in terms of the, the role of, of teachers and public schools in particular uh, in, in our society? I, I think that it's wonderful that we have a lot of um, outreach right now and, and there are teachers who are proposing um, changes. I think what's interesting from my standpoint and my research is even given how many challenges there are, Mm -hmm. there are teachers and individual schools that are exemplars and somehow they are making it work Mm -hmm. and um, able to create not just incredible results for kids, but also a work environment that teachers want to be in. Um, And I think that's an interesting place to look to see given all of these challenges um, how are some people able to succeed? All right. And that's where we're going to spend most of our time in this conversation. So your focus hasn't really been on these macros, you know, policy issues. It's, it's really on discovering what, what can be done. Uh, and, and you've done that. So, uh, let's, let's, let's walk into that part of your work by, if you could first describe what, What's a teacher's world like? Teachers are incredibly busy. They wake up super early, like 6 a.m., and they get to school. And from the moment they walk in the building, they are very engaged um, socially, intellectually, physically. They're on their feet. um, And it's a very stimulating job and stimulating day. Um, 
I think, in every way possible. So uh, what is it that makes the job particularly stressful? And, and why, do we, why do we see so much burnout, especially at the, at the level of the, you know, the high producer or the, you know, the, the very highly effective teachers? What are, what are the main sources of stress and strain? Um, I think some of them are people feeling like they aren't meeting the um, their own expectations of themselves mm. or of their students. Um, I think there's cynicism, which is the belief that like no matter what I do, I can't uh, make a difference. Hmm. Um, there's really emotional. so that's interesting because you know teachers can see uh, certainly over the course of a of a school year changes in individual students. I mean, they've got the evidence, the data right there in front of them. But and, and, and when they see that, I imagine that that provides a kind of uh, uh, incentive to, to, to reinforce the idea that they are making a difference. You're saying that that's not generally true? I think both are very true. So what we found in our research is that every teacher, even the highest performers, and that's who I did my research on high-performing teachers who've been in education for more than five years mm-hmm. because 50% quit by that point. 50%? Quit by the fifth year. Mm-hmm. Mm. And um, who have some sort of external marker of excellence. So these are really, truly high performers who are staying long-term Um and in interviewing them, every single one of those people experienced burnout symptoms on a daily basis. Hmm. Um, but the difference is that they also experienced the opposite. So like you said, they had those moments where they're like, um, you know, no matter what I do, this won't change. But they also recognize within that same day um, that they really are helping this particular kid improve or that you know, those two students are, are showing kindness, and that's something they've been working on cultivating in their classroom. Yeah. Or um, let's say that they really use humor in their room. They, they, you know, pride themselves on the levity and silliness that they're able to bring in even when kids are serious. Um, and so actually the, the teachers that I've studied and now that I work with who are really high-performing and also thriving um, despite all of the challenges – um, experience a lot of burnout moments, mm-hmm. um, but they also cultivate the positive and are really good at recognizing what makes teaching so priceless. Priceless, worth worth all the uh, this the stress and strain and 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 struggle uh, and general lack of support that most, especially in the public schools especially in urban public schools, have to face every day. I was just talking to um, a principal last week, and I was coaching one of her teachers this morning. And, and one of those teachers was like, she is hands down the best principal I have ever had. And she's been in education for 15 years. But anyway, this particular principal took some time off to work in the home office. Um, so away from kids, away from the classroom. Mm-hmm. And when I explained to her like our theory – she was like, yes, this is it. Like outside of the classroom, you experience fewer moments of cynicism, emotional exhaustion, and self-doubt. Um, but you experience so much fewer of the positive as well. And so she intentionally brought, like went back to school administration and working in a building day in and day out mm-hmm. um, because she missed and now she loves 
and cherishes those positive interactions that she has with kids um, and the energy that she's able to sort of give and get from being in a school. All right. So tell us about your research and what the major finding was and how were rather and, and how those uh, led you to the design of uh, the burn in program. Yeah, so our our research um, looked at teachers who have gone from um, asking themselves, can I become a good teacher, um, to being in a place where they were really excellent in the classroom and started thinking, can I keep doing this work? Um, And we looked at what are the mindset shifts that that it took for them to go from building skill to sustaining skill and engagement. And so, like I said, we found that all of the teachers experienced – Um, moments of burnout throughout their day, but they learned to cultivate more of the positive um, and to maintain their optimism, energy, and self-efficacy. And then we also looked at ways that they they sort of shifted their mindset. Um, For example, for um, new teachers that are really high performing, they love to just meet the expectation that's set by their school. Um, but over time, they develop their own practice and their own style. So when you talk to them, you can tell, like, what is it that makes their classroom special or their teaching special? Um, and they've just hmm. sort of developed their their identity. Um, and it's those moments when they see that come, come out that um, – they learn to focus on and really care about. So the, the the key is to is to outweigh the burnout factors uh, with uh, those experiences that are enlivening and that uh, vitalize or re- and continue to vitalize, uh, bring energy, bring life to the work. Um, so what exactly do you do, Julia, to to help those teachers who are at risk of burnout? Uh, to to uh, to cultivate those other aspects of their work lives. So I start by working with the principal at a high performing school, who is really interested in um, managing her own well, improving her own well being, and um, usually it's at a school that's already in a strong place where students mm-hmm. are are performing. Um, well academically and they're not just focused on helping kids um, get good test scores but they're also focusing on how to help cultivate kindness and um, teamwork and love of learning and what we call in positive psychology some of like the the values um, that we measure in positive psychology and um, so I work with the principal and the principal chooses five of her top teachers for me to work with um, and I teach four specific skills um, from positive psychology um, around how to build your strengths, um, how to cultivate positive relationships at work, and then also how to identify um, automatic thoughts and negative thinking um, and practice optimism. And the calls are confidential, so I don't talk to anyone about what goes on during our conversations, but they know who's in the program. Um, and they're encouraged to talk to each other about what they're learning and experiencing. So let's let's dig in a little further as to the the skills that you teach. And and just prior to that, the um, so th- the population that you work with are people who are already pretty well supported, 
or um, does it does it can you be a high high performing school uh, and still be in a, a, a high stress a low budget environment? Yes, but I think the fact that people are um, are bringing me on is an indication that they really care about supporting their teachers. So they have the resources to do that. Um, so is this is this program then limited to that slice of uh, American educational you know spectrum? Um, those those schools that have an interest in and and the resources to invest. Um, in such a program? Um, yes, I, I work with a wide range of schools from um, public charter schools here in Philadelphia, mm-hmm. um, one in Camden, and um, one in Tennessee, and just around the country, um, all of whom are not only dedicated to like providing the financial resources, but also taking the time to have these calls mm-hmm. that are almost always after hours and in their free time. I see. So the teachers have to be willing. Mm-hmm. And so um, how long do you work with them for approximately? Uh, for a month. Um, it's oh. a short, intensive program. So I work with them for um, four hour-long calls. That's it? Yep, that's it. Uh, and each one focuses on one of these specific skill sets? Yes. And I, I, I'm curious, as I'm sure uh, many of our listeners are, as to like what you do in this, in this intensive period. Um, but before we get there, have you been looking at the results of your interventions, or is it too early to tell? Yes. Um, we measure all of the teachers' um, burnout and burn-in symptoms at the beginning of the call and also their understanding of what well-being is um, and awareness of the research. Okay. And So what's burnout and burn-in symptoms? So burnout symptoms are um, feelings of emotional exhaustion, mm-hmm. cynicism, and self low self-efficacy. Okay. And then burn-in is the opposite, so feelings of optimism, energy, and high self-efficacy. And self-efficacy in this context means what? Um, knowing the challenge ahead uh, in front of you and feeling like you are equipped to deal with it. Mm-hmm. All right. So you measure that at the start. Yes. And you've been looking at change scores? Yes. And then um, the post-survey, uh, um, people are able to like provide testimonials but also um, report whether they are um, – regularly using the strategies that were taught to them mm-hmm. um, and whether they feel an increase in um, the positive and a decrease in the negative symptoms. And what are you finding? Um, almost 100 um, percent for uh, improvement for all of the strategies um, mm-hmm. and, and a renewed awareness of why they chose this profession and hmm. um, a renewed awareness of those moments that um, – really matter to them both in the classroom and at home. Um, Hmm. And one of the strategies that I teach is called active constructive responding, which is... um, What is that? That is like how to respond to good news in a relationship Hmm. um, so that you feel um, the positive emotion that the person you're talking to does uh, and it builds. Um, And, you know, I'm I'm teaching the strategy um, sort of mostly for them to use with their colleagues. Mm-hmm. Um, but almost everyone talks about using it with their friends or their mom or their partner. Mm. Um, and in the testimonials, a lot of people say, like, this is everything you've taught me has helped me just in my life in general. 
um, not just for work. Because these skills are obviously transferable to many different kinds of relationships. Absolutely. All right. So it's uh, the first building strengths. What do you do with that? Um, so we use the VIA survey, um, which is a positive psychology tool to measure uh, the strengths that you prioritize. Um, things like love, kindness, spirituality, appreciation of beauty and excellence. And then we start by just talking about um, what are the, how do you live those strengths um, in your life and where did you learn to develop them? Why are they important to you? Mm-hmm. And then we end up connecting it to their daily experience as an educator. So VIA, that's an acronym that stands for? Values in Action. Values in Action. And I'm going to ask you when we conclude where people can learn more, but while we're on this subject, is there a place where people can access that? Yes. It's online if you just Google that, and it's free. You can take the test for free. Okay. So people, they they do their own self-assessment of their values in action, and what do you do with that? Um, And then we use that um, as a way to get to know each other and then to make build connections to their um, daily experience at work. Um, and the ways that they get energy outside of work as well. Hmm. Um, And then um, their homework is to strength spot, um, is is what we call it, to notice their strengths um, in their own behavior um, Mm -hmm. throughout the week and in their colleagues. Hmm. So that's the assignment for the first week. Mm -hmm. And and, uh, what happens as a result of their strength spotting activity? (laughs) Um, I think they start to realize what matters to them and and um, where they really intentionally try to add value in their classrooms. And also, um, it helps them notice their colleagues more. Hmm. Can you give an example of that? Sure. So um, I'm guessing that one of your... um, uh, I'll give an example. There's a teacher that I'm working with who teamwork is a major priority for him. Um, and he just switched classes from teaching one grade level to teaching another mm-hmm. um, because of, of a need. And it really uh, mattered to so many adults in the building. And um, when he saw his results and saw that teamwork was one of his top priorities, he was like, that explains why it was so easy for me to make that decision. Um, and so he, he sort of was a, it was affirming for him. And then um, throughout the week, all of his, his, the people in the program were, were noticing that in him and the little and big ways that he always focuses on the team hmm. um, and checks in on people both in their personal life and in whatever they need for work. And how did that how did that change his his approach to his job? Um, well, at first he was focused um, just on the ways that he had already prioritized teamwork. And then he started to think of ways he could intentionally cultivate more of it hmm. um, and then talk about it more with his students. Really? Like, how would he do that? Um he uh, he told this particular teacher told me a story about how um, he accidentally gave his kids a, a practice test for eighth grade when they were fourth graders. Oh, and um, it could have been a very just like demoralizing, disheartening situation. 
Um, but he made it a team building moment and um, sort of talked to them about how nobody gave up and everyone kept trying throughout the test. And he was so proud of how um, determined they were. And um, so he didn't he didn't figure out this this error until after the fact, after the fact. And oh, he wow. saw the results and he felt so, um, so <laughs> just like he had made this really careless mistake, he, which apparently he had. Which he had. Yes. Um, and actually his manager um, was able to coach him and say, which one of your strengths can you leverage in this moment? Hmm. Um, and how can you sort of turn this around and make it a teachable moment? It's something you're really passionate about. And, and how did he do that? Like I just said, he he had, um, he actually told his kids that um, this was not a mistake. He had done it on purpose to see uh, how they would respond. And he was just so proud of them. Um, hmm. And there was one particular question that a lot of kids did well on, and he used that as a way to build their self-efficacy. All right. So and, – and that makes a difference in terms of how this teacher going forward sees his work and is able to better sort of – to withstand the, the strains of this incredibly demanding job? Yes. Yeah. I mean I think that when we – when we're able to notice the little ways – that we are bringing meaning um, and adding value to a situation, it, it makes a difference. It does make a difference. All right, Julia. So you were describing this burst uh, of uh, a month-long, once-a-week, hour, an hour-a-week uh, calls that you have with the teachers who are selected by their principals uh, to participate in the burn-in program in which you apply directly uh, some of the critical skills of positive psychology. Um, and you, you described uh, how they start by uh, inventorying and then noticing and becoming more cognizant of how to uh, value their strengths and how to bring those to life and how that is a sustaining kind of activity or a self-sustaining kind of activity. Uh, tell us about the other parts of, of, of the program, just in, in overview as to what you do in each of these different parts, uh, the other three parts, and, and perhaps an example or two of, uh, of how it works. Sure. So um, another part that we work on is thinking about resilience and what are the skills associated with resilience. Um, and a lot of this research comes from Karen Rivich, who was um, one of the professors here at Penn. Um, and you know, so much of education is focused on deficits and looking at what is wrong with our students, what is wrong with our teachers, um, where do we need to improve? And I think um, resilience is an is an one of the um, frameworks that we talk about uh, in a really positive way um, and helping do like a positive diagnosis um, first of the teacher herself. Um, of how she is resilient on a daily basis and what are mm. the particular strategies that she uses. Um, and again, it's kind of like a mindset shift instead of just talking about what's bothering you or what are the things that are really hard for you at mm -hmm. your job. Mm -hmm. um, I teach the research on resilience and the, the sub-skills, and then we go through an example of how the teacher has used each one of them. Mm. Um, and so uh, some of them are um, so the self-awareness, for example. Mm -hmm. um, and so a teacher will say, um, you know, when I um, 
am working with a student who's not listening or has just thrown a chair or um, thrown a chair, (laughs) you know, Uh daily thing. That stuff Um, happens all the time. Um, or I'm in a meeting where I disagree. That's never happened here in my Wharton <laughs> MBA classroom, or at least not yet. Um, uh, a student who disagrees with you, for example. That um, happens a lot. You know, th- there was one, one principal <laughs> who was like, I notice that my hands start to like tighten mm. and um, I can feel my heart starting to beat a little bit faster in those moments. Mm. Um, and, and recognizing that that is like a warning sign to you that you need to be um, really alert and careful about what you decide to do or say next um, is part of being resilient. Um, and so framing that um, and realizing that in those moments um, you are equipped to respond and you are already super self-aware of the tools that you're using um, – to address that situation. So self-awareness is a critical skill uh, in, in cultivating resilience. What else does it take to, to do that? Yeah. Would so you- another one is mental agility, for example. So that's the ability to sort of um, problem solve and put all of the pieces, put multiple perspectives together or um, look at many different sides to an issue. Um, and when the teacher reads that almost every time, they're like, oh, my God, I do this every single day. Um, you mm-hmm. know, when there's a change in the schedule and I need to shift when I'm going to give my test or um, a student who, um, you know, uh, all of a sudden has a, a learning gap that I didn't realize was there. And I, I have to go seek another perspective from another teacher about how to teach him differently. Mm. Um, and I think so much of what my program does is puts language to the strategies that the teachers are already using um, Mm. because they are incredible um, teachers and they're so good at diagnosing what they do wrong um, or what they need to work on and having language um, to sort of explain and label how they've gotten this far and what they do so well is not just good for them, but it's also good for um, the teachers that are around them. How does it help the teachers around them? Um, something I ask towards the middle of my calls is like, are there any teachers who come up to you like after an email was sent by a principal that nobody likes or, um, you know, some something just happened and, and ask you like, how come you aren't freaking out about this? Or like, how are you handling this so well? Um, and they'll usually be like, yes, all the time. Like I, I have two or three teachers that I mentor in the building hmm. who are constantly coming to me on a daily basis just to sort of learn learn the ropes and figure out how to how to do this job at a really high level. So this is not an additional source of stress and strain for these high performing teachers. No, the, the, the mentoring of other people. This is yeah, I think to the contrary, a source of uh, enrichment. Yeah, um, I think it's. Um, seen as an honor and and an important part of the job to mentor new teachers. Mm -hmm. Um, But when strong teachers have a language to describe how they do what they do, um, it helps them, and then it also helps them explain it to other people. Hmm. And and how does that help them become more resilient and able to withstand the rigors? Um, I think a big part of um, teaching and high performance is constantly monitoring and self-evaluating. 
Um, am I doing a good job? Am I making a difference? Is this working? Um, and I think our minds are really good at noticing when the answer is no. Mm-hmm. Um, and my hope is that teachers are being learning a language to to clearly say yes um, to that question um, and to help start to notice when are they using their strengths, um, when are they witnessing their values in their own classroom, mm-hmm. um, and when even if um, there's a kid who's totally escalated, um, can you also self-narrate the fact that you're um, being self-aware and uh, using mental agility and some of the other resilience strategies? So it's to be mindful of what's happening and to process what's happening while it's happening. Yes. Yes, yeah. and, that, and that awareness uh, builds a greater confidence Yes, I think a greater confidence. And then once you know, um, once you have a name for a specific strategy, mm-hmm. you can use it more intentionally. Um, and I think that's true with teaching, like having an economy of language or don't don't engage when a student's upset or um, backwards planning. We've we've gotten to a point in education where we can code all these different little moves. What's backwards planning? Backwards planning is is knowing what's the test that you're giving um, and planning your lesson backwards from there. Oh. Um, and so there's so much um, work that's been done to sort of um, label excellent moves for a teacher in the classroom. And my hope is that I'm helping teachers also label some of their excellent thoughts um, and ways of self-managing. Hmm. And so um, <clears throat> becoming more aware of the strengths that they use uh, – is 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 giving giving teachers a language that helps them understand their their value uh, and and what they're good at as opposed to focusing on where they might be messing up. Right. And I work with um, when I start working with a principal, I say, please only let me work with the teachers that you know are doing an incredible job. Um, and and then sometimes I'll have the first call. And mm-hmm. based on the way the teacher's talking about herself, I'm like, oh. I'm the worst teacher in the school. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why they picked me, that sort of thing. Well, they, they're just so hyper-focused on hmm. um, what needs to improve, what, what needs to be better. Um, well, has that made them excellent, though, to begin with? It's part of what makes them excellent. And hmm. we saw that in so our this research is a, as well. This is a dilemma. Yes. And so um, – um, my focus is not so much on getting them to decrease the amount of per- over-personalizing they do, but increase uh, their awareness of what they're doing well. Um, and sometimes teachers will – I remember I had a call with one of the principals, um, and I was like, you know, I've been working with – I'll call her um, Sophie. I've been working with Sophie, and you know, I'm not going to um, share any details about our conversations. I just want to check in like – are you sure that she's one of your strongest teachers? Like, are her kids doing okay? How's her classroom? And she's Mm -hmm. like, Julia, I promise you, she is incredible. I would put my own daughter in her classroom. Um, She's, she's one of the best of the best that I've seen in my 20 year career. Um, But, you know, I think it's not uncommon for incredible teachers to not fully realize um, their impact. Hmm. So what else do you do to help them to do just that? 
One of the strategies that I teach is called thinking traps, which yes. again- That's the last session, right? Yes. Okay. Um, What's the thinking trap? So a thinking trap, uh, th- I've said personalizing a couple of times. So personalizing is um, jumping to the conclusion that uh, something that went wrong is all your fault. And when we per- personalize, um, it's often, uh, well, it leads us to feel guilty and it's often not fully accurate hmm. um, because most problems are complex and there are lots of causes. Um, and I would say when I was first teaching, um, I personalized everything. And a lot of times if kids weren't listening, it was kind of my fault because I didn't know what I was doing yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really motivational to um, – go home thinking that the day didn't go well because of something that I did wrong, but now I have a new strategy that I'll try tomorrow, and tomorrow was better. Um, and so it was actually a rewarding mindset to personalize um, a lot of the things that I wasn't satisfied with in my classroom. All um, right. So now you're you're countering that. Right. But <clears throat> no, because I work with teachers who have um, at least five years of experience mm-hmm. and lots of skill. And if you overuse the mindset of personalizing when um, it's safer to assume that you've you have contributed to the problem when you're brand new at something mm-hmm. than when you're really experienced. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's risk in um, in thinking that everything is your fault um, in a classroom because it's it's. For the teachers that I work with, it's not true. Well, and you can see how that would lead someone to eventually say, "That's it. I'm done. I can't. I can't. Yeah. I can't continue if I just keep messing up. There, I'm just not. I'm not suited for this. I'm not right. capable." And so, part of your job is to help people who are successful to see that indeed they are exactly. Uh, we've got a number of calls that have come in. I want to just ask you one of them uh, directly. And that is, are there other ways to apply this uh, this approach in different ways? In other words, is it is it different for every teacher? Is the experience different for everyone? The, you're teaching a standard set of skills, but I imagine that each person applies them in different ways. Definitely. And I think um, the, the way that I teach this is very individualized so that the teacher can um, first learn the research and then mm-hmm. think about how it applies um, and describes her own life. Mm-hmm. Um, and that process, I think, is really efficient. Um, and a lot of times teachers say to me, wow, like I've never, I've never stopped to reflect why mm. honesty is so important to me. Mm. Or um, I've never realized that I'm, I'm s- so good at thinking optimistically. Um, and you're right. Like, it really does help me that, um, you know, I don't see bad things as permanent. And mm-hmm. and I can see how that's helped me and, and not some of my friends who've already left the profession. Um, and so I think providing that independent, confidential space um, is really unique. And teachers comment on that all the time. What do they say? They say just that. Like, uh, um Thank you for letting me just like reflect um, and think about what I'm doing well 
and and legitimize it with science. So you're you're really just kind of like holding a mirror up to them and giving them a, a language to make sense of their experience that helps them to see the value that they bring. Mm-hmm. Is, is there any part of this that helps them to bring in feedback from people who are important to them, including students or others with whom they're interacting regularly that is a part of the, their um, developing their, their greater capacity to burn in? Mm-hmm. So first they practice it um, and reflect on themselves. And then um, the beauty of having at least five people at the school who are also doing the program Mm -hmm. is that they have a shared language and they can practice um, these strategies with each other. Oh, okay. So they do know who they are and you, you, you use that quintet that uh, uh, to, to be mutually supportive. Absolutely. Uh And some of the schools um, will have like a leader at the school who facilitates um, weekly debriefs to discuss the strategies and how they're working. So um, for schools that are thinking about this, or if you, you know, there are a lot of parents listening, um, what, how would you advise parents to, to be helpful in strengthening the capacities of their children's teachers to be effective in their, in their roles and in the service that they provide their, their kids? Mm, I think... Can you ask that one more time? Well, I'm, I'm asking what advice you have for parents uh, for how they can be helpful to teachers. I think that parents and teachers are similar in that they are, um, they are always modeling for, their, for kids. Mm-hmm. And um, I think there's a lot of research to show that both teachers and parents, um, when they model perseverance or gratitude – um, and and they show it in their own life and behavior, it has a positive impact on the kids. And so um, I think, um, yeah, I, maybe one strategy would be for the parents to, to recognize what is it that the teacher really um, works so hard to contribute to the classroom and, and how have you noticed that um, as an observer from the outside mm-hmm. and also how have you noticed that developing in in the child which is where they'd have the most data right how their how their kids are, are affected by the school experience mm-hmm. my guess is that most teachers hear a lot of complaining from parents uh and and don't get enough of the kind of positive regard that can help to help them to to build their their sense of uh well resilience and commitment to their to their role is that right i know it means so much to hear from a parent's perspective, um, the change and improvement that you see in your child mm-hmm. and and thank yous go so far. Um, so, absolutely. So basic appreciation uh, is uh, is one thing that, that parents can bring. What do you hope is, is going to be the legacy of this work? If you were to think, uh, you know, a decade out from now, what's what's the impact that you want to that you want to see? I want to see teachers who are amazing at their job and who want to keep teaching feel supported to do so. And and I would love for my legacy to be um, as someone who helped teachers not only perform at a really high level, um, but love their daily experience. Did you have people in your life who did that for you? Absolutely. The um, MAP program 
Um, That's the Master's in Applied Positive Psychology. Here. here. Um, So much of what I am now teaching teachers, I practiced on myself thanks to what I learned at MAP. Um, And I think definitely the the people who helped me become good at teaching were the teachers next door. Um, And so I think that's something that's so helpful about the program that I'm doing is that um, it's it's sort of solidifying strong relationships within the building and creating um, a positive touch point um, for teachers to talk about and a way for them to describe not just what they're doing well, but what they see each other doing well. Yeah. And, you know, that's a principle, of course, that applies to most work settings. Definitely. Right. Um, <clears throat> So, as as you th- we we only have a couple of minutes left here. Uh, if you think about uh, the you're you're holding yourself accountable for the things that matter most to you. This is a question I've been asking everybody this year, uh, which I'm thinking of as the year of accountability in our country. Um, <laughs> so uh, I'm asking all my guests about this issue of accountability. What do you do, if anything, to hold yourself accountable for living and working in accord with your core values? Um, I think that this job really leverages um, my core values, um, especially love and um, and judgment and love is the ability to love and be loved and judgment is um, the ability to weigh evidence and see things from all sides Um, and I think so much of what I'm um, doing is an act of love um, for the profession and for the teachers who've done the hard work to get good at this job um, and are sticking with it Um, and I'm I'm helping them to see what they're already doing um, in a new way. Well, uh, Julia, I've learned a lot and uh, really appreciate your joining us tonight. What's the best place for listeners to find out more about Burn-In Mindset and your plans for what you're going to be doing with it in the years to come? Sure. www.burninmindset.com. And what are people going to find there? Um, You will find uh, some information about our program, um, the importance of supporting teacher well-being and retaining our top teachers, um, and information on how to contact me if you'd like to bring this program to your school. And do you have plans for for bringing this to teachers who are perhaps not in the top, you know, 10% of the performance, uh, you know, data that, that principals have and to, to broaden the scope to a, a broader pop, to a larger population? Yes. So um, once I finish the program with a school, I then help the teachers who did the program present the information to the rest of the staff. Huh. Um, and So the teachers become teachers. Exactly. And um, so much of the research shows that Learning happens from um, fellow teachers, Mm -hmm. uh, less so from an outside consultant. Um, And so I think that that my theory of change is to teach this to um, some core early adopters and then let them do what they do super well, which is teach and influence their peers. Awesome. Julia, thank you so much for being a part of this conversation and for sharing your your wisdom uh, with with our listeners and with all the teachers who are fortunate enough to, to be a part of your program. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Julia King-Poole. 
about the ways by which we can use the principles of positive psychology to increase our resilience for teachers, for anyone. So here, then, is a challenge for you, an invitation. Check out the free VIA survey at viacharacter.org and spend a few minutes there to discover or at least to better articulate and understand your own values and the strengths you already have that mesh with your values. I just want to encourage you to simply notice these, to recognize them and focus on these strengths for a bit more than you currently do. And ask yourself how, just doing that alone, how does that shift your thinking about what you do? and how you feel about what you do. Let me know what you discover. I'd love to hear from you, and you can get in touch with me directly, friedmanatwharton.upenn.edu, or find me on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work and Life. This conversation was originally recorded on my weekly radio show on Sirius XM 132, Business Radio Powered by Wharton. Tune in for live broadcasts of Work and Life on Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern. For more about today's guest and about previous guests, go to workandlifepodcast.com. And for more ideas and tools for creating harmony among the different parts of life, visit totalleadership.org and check out my book, Total Leadership, Be a Better Leader, Have a Richer Life. If you like this podcast, please subscribe, Rate it on iTunes and share it with your friends, your family, and your coworkers. Until next time, I'm your host, Stu Friedman, and I thank you for joining me. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.